0: Hello, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to design and develop cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings as much as the buildings themselves. The Illuminated River Project is a public art commission which will light up London Bridge, Cannon Street, Southwark, and the Millennium Bridges this summer. The art installation was created by American light artist Leo Villarel and London architects Lifshitz Davidson Sandlins. If the project is taken forward to 2022, the installation will eventually span up to 15 central London bridges, from Albert Bridge in West London to Tower Bridge in the city. The project is funded by private donors, including the Rothschild Foundation, the Blavatnik Family Foundation, and Arcadia. And it required 29 planning permissions and 18 listed building consents. We meet up with the Illuminated River curator, Sarah Gaventa, underneath Waterloo Bridge on the south bank of the Thames. Gaventa was formerly the director of Cabe Space at the Commission for Architecture and the Built Environment. We talk about the role of rivers and cities and the unforeseen advantages of this art project, which includes surveys of the bridges, research on bats, bees and water fauna and the potential of LED technology.
1: Uh, my name is Sarah Gaventa, and I'm the director of the Illuminated River Foundation which is uh, managing and delivering the Illuminated River project.
0: So can you tell me about the Illuminated River and what it is?
1: It's an ambitious project to illuminate up to 15 bridges between Albert and Tower starting in summer 2019, so this year, um, with four bridges uh, London Bridge, Cannon Street, Southwark and Millennium Bridge and then moving further west Um, so that the following year we uh, do Waterloo to Lambeth.
0: So where did the idea come from to light the bridges?
1: So it was originally the idea of Lord Rothschild, um, particularly because when he worked at Somerset House, um, he used to look at Waterloo Bridge and think, well, it's a shame that it wasn't um, lit up in some way to sort of enhance its architectural character. Um, and he had some initial conversations with um, James Turrell about Waterloo Um, and then after the Olympics the mayor was keen on finding a project that would have some kind of legacy, cultural legacy project for London Um, and then Hannah Rothschild took up the baton and thought about the idea of extending this concept of illuminating some of our beautiful bridges which are either not illuminated at night currently or are illuminated rather by highways engineers than anyone with any sort of uh, lighting design training. And so the effects are variable, I I think. Um, And so this was an opportunity to celebrate um, well what is in fact our biggest public space in, in London and celebrate the architecture and the history of the bridges that, that um, span it.
0: So can you tell us much about the, the artwork and what it's going to be like or look
1: like? So we had an international competition, there were over 106 entries, people like Diller and Scafidio for example went in for it, David Adjaye, um, with, working with artists as well, um, and it was won by Leo Villarreal, who's an American light sculpture artist who was working with LDS, Lipschitz Davison, Sandy Lands, the architects known for a lot of work along the South Bank and also the architects of the Golden Jubilee footbridges. Um, And I think they won because um, it was a concept of creating something that was individual to each bridge, but felt curated and they felt that there was a synergy between all of them. So it wasn't 15 disparate artworks, but something that felt that it would um, respond to each of the bridges and their architecture, but would work together holistically. Um, And so that was in December 2016. And now we spent just over two years trying to make it happen. So uh, that includes 30 planning applications, 18 listed building consents, quite a lot of bat and bird surveys. Uh, probably the worst place you could do a project yeah, is on a bridge over a working river. At the same time, also that Tideway um, are making a huge, enormous tunnel um, in the river, in the Thames, at the same time. So logistically, it's a nightmare. Um, um, but you know. Everyone likes a good challenge.
0: That must have been a surprise, because it sounds so simple, you just put some lights on the bridges. What could, what could be difficult?
1: Uh, yeah, I keep saying, yeah, it, it should be simple, putting lights o- o- on a bridge, but um, um, you have to abseil. You, in order to abseil over, um, over the river, you have to have a license, you have to close a span of a bridge, which is a working, you know, work over a working river, you have to have safety boats. Um, It's not one of those things where if you don't get it right you can just come back with a stepladder and sort it out. It's probably the worst possible place to try and do anything. Um, A lot of the bridges hadn't really had any kind of proper surveying done, so we also did the first 3D surveys of all the bridges, and so that's, we've created a huge amount of new data on this project. So, you know, the other day we found out there was a gap in Cannon Street Bridge, which no one quite knew about. Um, It's not a dangerous gap, but when you're putting light fittings on, it's like, oh, dear, there's a bit, there's 1.2 meters of, uh, of the span is not actually there. Um, and so we've created this lovely, these lovely three D models. So the three D models of now all of that information has been gifted to the local authorities, the bridge owners, and also been added to uh, the model of London, the View City model, which is used a lot by developers. Because of course there was always that gap, because no 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 one was developing the bridges, so no one was paying. Well, it costs us one hundred and ten thousand pounds to survey all the bridges. We've also done the first luminance study along the central the central Thames. So again, you know, it's even though we. central London, there's a ridiculous lack of data. I thought, you're right, as you would say, you know, that this would be easy to do, it's simply about putting lights on, but we had to learn so much. No one had done a bat or bird survey of the bridges or central London. Turns out all the bats live in Chelsea, they're quite Um, upmarket. So that's a relief. Um, But the luminance study was really interesting because it told us that actually a lot of the light that's spilling into the river, the direct light, which is really bad for fish. Uh, and wildlife generally. Um, some of it's coming from the bridges, like L- London Bridge is very um, polluting, um, but it's also coming from light fittings uh, on the bridges themselves, on the um, actual light standards and along the river. So we've been working with local authorities to try and reduce that as well. Um, and it also pointed out uh, some of the buildings are, are, are throwing up huge amounts of light, like the walkie-talkie for example, Is uh, uh, we were quite surprised at how much that throws out, and that's so a, certainly one building that could do with being off at night, I think.
0: <laughs> so it's not <clears> melting <throat> cars anymore, but it's still...
1: No, no, it, 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 there's a, a luminance level that's seen, that um, people kind of think is about appropriate. I mean, our, I think one of the strange things is the understanding that, uh, that we learned was that The the London we see at night is not curated in any way. It's the the London facilities managers want us to see. It doesn't even sort of indicate where there's nighttime activity. One of the most um, illuminated buildings on this stretch of the river where we are Um, is uh, Charing Cross um, and above Charing Cross Station which are in the Terry Farrell building and it's the offices of Price Waterhouse Cooper but you know at night it's like ta-da it's the place that looks like it's sort of um, obviously a sort of theatre or kind of disco or something, it's just so brightly lit. So I think one of the conversations we're having as well is about the quality of the light that we have in London at night, whereas Clears Pack, Patrick's Needle is hardly illuminated. Um, Tower Bridge, for example, the colour temperature has bears no relationship to the colour temperature of the Tower of London and that's what we're trying to address. So there's more harmony and synergy and that some of our most beautiful buildings disappear at night and we want to kind of almost reverse that and give them some space to sort of gently glow.
0: So the bat and the bird study, is that because there were concerns raised about illuminating it was, what, what will this do for the <laughs> nature corridor? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think, you know, one of the first sort of public responses we had for illuminated River is, oh, you're going to put more light onto the river. And that's really bad for bats and birds, because we know that bats don't like too much light. There's already a huge amount of light coming from the bridges. and. In fact, on, on all the bridges that we're working on that are currently illuminated, we're reducing that by 50% because we're using LEDs. And we're also stopping direct light going into the water. Now, direct light is very bad for fish because they don't like to have sex with the lights on, so they won't spawn and, you know, get up to all about that argy-bargy. So, and London Bridge, is a, um, the light that it throws off is terrible. I mean, Albert Bridge throws out as much light as a motorway. By using far more sophisticated... Um, Uh, LEDs, we can get the same kind of quality of effect, but by reducing uh, energy consumption by 50%, which also reduces the electricity bills, and also by putting the light in the right place. We're just putting the light on the bridges, and we've got the wrong name really, we're not illuminating the river at all, we're actually trying to take light off the river. We're also working with the local authorities, because I think when you do something of this scale, you know, you, we're working with Southwark and City of London in phase one, to look at the light that goes along the river as well, because we want people to come and enjoy it, and if we're asking them to come and have a look at the bridges, we don't want them to go into unsafe environments, we're looking at the accessibility, are there seats, it'd be nice, you can sit and enjoy it without having to go into a cafe and pay money, but also what's the light quality like around them. And with the city in London, we've walked the banks of the river and actually we've decided to take off some lights, but also uh, make a warmer colour temperature that's more sort of human-friendly, you know, sort of less about lighting for traffic and more about lighting um, for creating a more enjoyable experience walking along the river, really.
0: It's interesting you talk about the, the uncurated city um, and, and that kind of night, nighttime landscape. People don't often think of that as being something that could be curated or controlled or or made more sympathetic, but it sounds
1: like you guys have looked into that quite deeply. Yeah, it's um I think when you do something in the centre of London, again, you know, you've got a huge responsibility to sort of join things up. And you know, I I was the director of public space at Cabe and you you can take the girl out of Cabe and not Cabe out of the girl really. So I, I see this not only as an art project but a public realm project because we also want to encourage um walking you know we want people to instead of taking the bus across a bridge to walk across a bridge there's only one bridge here that you can actually sit down on the bridge and that is Blackfriars. you know it'd be nice if you could if we can encourage people to stop and linger and maybe you know have a conversation with someone on the bridge as opposed to sort of you know head down and you're just zooming across i mean I, i i'm hoping that this is a moment where people can just sort of just you know, take time out from their commute or whatever it is they're doing um, to, to enjoy it. We're also looking about uh, at um, how you get people down to the river because again, you know, we're on the South Bank and it's seen very much as tourist town uh, It has a problem with too many people coming and yet people from the local communities don't come down here, you know, it's, it's, it's for tourists, it's not local. It's a bit like when I did a project once in St Ives and the kids from the local social housing estates wouldn't go down to the beach because that was for, for the Emmett's, which is, you know, for the tourists. And so we've been working with Southwark to say, well, should we have better illuminated routes? Um, I mean we're not about expanding Leo's scheme, but how do we encourage people? So we've been telling the stories about why the bridges are important as well. And you know, you can come out of London Bridge Station and you have no idea where the river is, and yet it's it's not far from you and the same with Waterloo so we're always very close to the Thames but half the time we can't work out how to get there so it's also about making it more permeable to come down and enjoy it and then hopefully spread that load that is concentrated in the South Bank you know further up to Southwark and we're doing some projects to try and make the North Bank a a little bit more um, friendly as well because at the moment you know it still turns its back on the river and Uh, we know what a massive change that's been in the last decade so when you're walking along between London Bridge and Millennium Bridge half the time it's very hard to do it without being construction work but also at ground level it's not activated you know there's about one cafe um, and it's mainly lawyers offices or you know uh, other offices and and they all all turn their backs to the river and I think there's a huge opportunity to, to change that Culture on the north bank as well.
0: It's a motorway too. Much better. Yeah, bit. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: you know, it looks like Robert Moses got his way, doesn't it? One street back. So it's. Um, um, so I think in terms of, of creating a, a better public realm for people, um, you know, and I think uh, uh, bridges are part street, part building, part public space, and so you've got that. Um, you've got those issues about how you uh, knit knit them back into the wider oh. kind of urban fabric. I mean. Uh, at Waterloo itself, you know, just just going up on Waterloo Bridge, it's so badly lit. Um, At night, I wouldn't go up there um, because I wouldn't feel safe and I know somebody who got mugged for their phone going up there not long ago and and so we've been trying to work out who owns what, because that's the other thing when you're doing anything along the banks of the Thames. Land ownership is so weird and I I was down by Waterloo Bridge with um, uh, someone from the Haywood, someone from the BFI, someone from the South Bank Um, Someone from the National Theatre, no one knew who was responsible for the lights going up Waterloo Bridge. So I think, you know, if we have a role, part of a role, in saying, oh, come on, we need to join all this up a lot more. And the interesting thing with Thames Tideway is that they're planning and creating new public spaces. So they're creating a new piece of public realm, quite a large piece of public realm for the North Bank um, under Blackfriars Bridge. So we're having conversations with them because they have a very ambitious lighting scheme and saying, OK, well, we, we're doing a lighting scheme, an artwork, really, on <coughs> Blackfriars Bridge. These things need to join up because there's nothing worse when you see where one project ends and someone else's begins and there's been no coordination. But I have to say, it's quite hard to do that. So in a way, we're a catalyst, I think, a quite a small project in the big scheme of things, but we're a catalyst for some bigger conversations about quality of light, public realm, joining up the riverbanks to create a much more accessible, enjoyable experience, I think.
0: And a lot of these challenges, I imagine, stem from the fact that the river really was something we did turn our back on. It was smelly and it was, you know, an unsafe kind of bit of infrastructure, really. It, it doesn't, it, I, mean, that, I mean, maybe we can talk a little bit about the changing role of the Thames and how, how we see it now as Something valued in London, where perhaps before it was just another highway.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, <clears throat> London is only here because of the Thames. London Bridge was the first bridge across the Thames, and I mean, it is true that you know it was a, more of a sewer than than a, than a, um, a public space or a you know a, an attraction, and that's changed so much. And. I think with the Tideway project, it will change even more. And I think one of the issues is getting down to the river is is, is quite hard. You know, there's lots of barriers to that. It's seen as very unsafe. And I think there are people, there are organisations that don't want you to engage with the river. But um, the transformation on the South Bank, I think, over the last decade or 15 years has proven that people want to come down here. There's a bit of a bit of space. You you know, it's the only place in London where you can see for more than about 50 yards, isn't it really? Because for God's thank goodness, no one can build on the Thames. Um, um, And I think think there's been this change from it's still a working river, but it's a place for leisure. It's also a place to commute. I mean, the mayor's very keen to double the number of commuters on the river, and our project wants to help that, because those numbers go down when it gets dark. Um, And so if you get to see the Illuminated River project and commute at the same time, that's quite a nice win-win. And I think um, there's still a huge amount, especially on the north bank, of um, where uh, buildings and and the city, and especially if you head further east, where People have built right up to the edge of the river, <clears throat> and not thinking about creating riverside walks. And um, I think that attitude has completely changed now. That you get the sense of trying to make it much more accessible for people um, and enjoy it. And yeah, it doesn't smell anymore. And maybe one day we'll get a lido and you know all sorts of exciting things um, as well. And people, you know, might commute a lot more and and um, find different ways to sort of engage with the river. I think the new pieces of public realm that Tideway are making are much more sort of at at river's edge. So you feel it's a much um, uh, more visceral experience with the river because I think the embankments still make you feel very detached from it. But, you know, it is, you know, the Thames runs at 14 miles an hour, has two tides a day. You know, it it shouldn't be taken lightly, Um, uh, the, the RNLI, um, have their busiest lifeboat station in the entire country by Waterloo Bridge. Um, so uh, you have to treat it with respect as well. It is
0: quite um, a living thing, I mean when you notice how the tide comes incredibly high and then raid out to to reveal the banks and I know there's like now activities you can go mudlarking along the beaches and pick things up and it's becoming kind of a thing to to engage with its archaeology and its movement and of course when random things happen, like the whale that swam up the bank and everyone kind of realized that this this was kind of a living thing connected to the sea again. Um, but then we have kind of the, the tragedy of, of, of the attacks that happened on the bridge, and so mm-hmm. many of those barriers have come down on the bridges. There's kind of the, the concrete blocks to, to line them in this sense that actually that they are um, also exposed in dangerous places. A lot of those barriers were put there temporarily, in it and haven't really been designed, they've just kind of plonked there. Um, But now, you know, talking about bringing people back onto those bridges and having them engage with it, maybe having benches or, you know, do you you think there's a a new conversation to be had about both kind of preventing, obviously, you know, the kind of threat of of terrorism, but also kind of re... Reclaiming them as um, as a public space.
1: Yeah, I mean, I the um, especially you know obviously London Bridge and Westminster Bridge. I mean, we want to reclaim them as places of joy, contemplation, um, something that inspires, rather than places of tragedy. Um, the hostile vehicle mitigation systems which are those concrete barriers I was noticed the other day on a London Bridge that people were sitting on those and and looking at the river um, and I don't think it would take a lot to change that kind of attitude you know we are very stoic about those sort of things we're trying to be very respectful of of these um, of these uh, these histories that are part of the bridges and also you know for the Martianess disaster as well so we're working with um, Southwark Cathedral to um, look at how we might uh, respect that and and um, engage with those sort of conversations but yes I mean you know these are these are terrible things that have happened and and um, I think we don't want people to be afraid of going across a bridge I mean it's not it's not the British way is it anyway apart from anything else and it is good to see that people are still enjoying um, these wonderful panoramas that you can get of the city. The river is Um, The Thames is, you know, an amazing wildlife superhighway, there's over 120 different species of fish in it, but because it's turbid, which means it's sort of murky and full of bits, you can't see it. So there's this invisible life going on in in the river, and so we have been talking to the Zoological Society of London, um, who I call the fish people, about how we might be able to tell those stories, so we've been talking about how the lights might go off on a bridge um, to indicate there's spawning going on, for example, and ways of making the invisible visible and telling the stories um, um, of the Thames and its history and its and its and its life and what it what it what, what it performs and does for us. I mean, it's you know, it's utterly extraordinary, and I love it when the, when it's low tide and you see all this um, exposed history. And we're going to be working with mudlarks as well to see if we can do some evening events. They are very keen on that um, with London Ramblers, so we can do evening walks. We are w- working with the City of London Guide so that they will also do things. So we want to make we don't we want to make um, more of those histories and stories um, uh, visible.
0: So if we travel forward in time and the fourteen bre- bridges are all illuminated, um, what do, what do you 15, hope? Fifteen, 15 uh, sorry, yeah, but we're doing up to fifteen. Don't okay, <laughs> <laughs> if we travel forward in time and up to fifteen bridges are now all illuminated. What do you hope? Is happening with the people? What are they doing? Are they walking all fifteen, or is it how is
1: it changing? Is it? I, I, I think um, it would be wonderful if people walked all fifteen bridges. But I think people have their own parts of London, and I think if they engage with those bridges, I mean, everyone has a favourite bridge. I don't know what your favourite bridge is, but you know, uh, Albert's one of my favourite, and I like it very much. And um, Southwark, Southwark, because no one can find it. No one can find it. No <laughs> one goes over it. So, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's the fundamental thing. You know, Southwark is the leastly. Southwark is the least used bridge of all the of all the bridges in central London, and if it means that we can encourage people to walk over them or just you know just walk by them, I, I think I think that would be great and also just sort of admire the um, engineering and architectural beauty of them because what Leo's scheme does is, is really reveal for the first time, you know, it illuminates the underbellies of these wonderful bridges and you get a sense of just how, what magnificent structures they are. And some of them are so old as well, you know, uh, Westminster Bridges, 1862, Cannon Street, which again is one of my favourite bridges, no one ever thinks about Cannon Street, except it's a workhorse um, it's 1868, you know, it's a wonderful piece of um, industrial architecture. So we hope people sort of um, find, if they don't have a favourite bridge now, they'll have a, a favourite bridge with, a, and a, maybe one, and a favourite lighting um, artwork on one of the bridges as well. Um, and if people want to walk or 15, that would be brilliant, you know, it'd be very good exercise. We're looking at do some 5K runs um, at some point as well. So I think it's about um, think, see, seeing them as... Um, yeah as public realm as, as places
0: so if you could um describe <coughs> some of the artworks that we'll see so beginning perhaps with the easternmost
1: which would be the millennium is that right um it'll be london bridge london bridge okay. okay You see one of the interesting things is that um i hope people will understand which bridge is which because even you know well, i've lived in london for uh, you know thir- nearly 30 years now and um it took me a while to, to be able to name them all in the right order Um, I'm now very good for a pub quiz on bridges, I have to say, but um, I think we sort of take them for granted, don't we? So I think, I'm hoping this project will mean that people re-engage a lot. Well, I said that
0: Southwark was my favourite because whenever I find it, I feel really proud that actually
1: I've made (laughs) it onto it. Yeah, well done you. (laughs) You're on your own, (laughs) Christine. So London Bridge is our first bridge, and of course you would start with London Bridge being the sort of oldest bridge, although in its current manifestation, it's 1970s. I quite like it. A lot of people hate London Bridge because I think it's really ugly. but. You know, I like. I think the 70s were, were, were good. And it's got this lovely kind of um, almost gaps in the teeth in the terms of the stonework. So sometimes you get these kind of quite nice sort of reflections and things from it. We do need to sort out the lighting. Even the City of London say the lighting is sort of um, well out of date. It's got metal halides and fluorescence. And, And it is throwing a huge amount of direct light into the river. But it's a very kind of sculptural bridge. Um, And it's a very good canvas for Leo's work. So Leo works in colour and in uh, monotone, but it's very gently kinetic. So there's a, a bit of movement. Now, this project has to last 10 years. And in public realm, you can't do something that is, you know, we don't want disco lights. We don't want Christmas lights. So it's very, very subtle. And it will mean that it will feel different in different environments. It will feel different in the winter. It will feel different in fog. It will feel different in the rain on you know, different different, um, um, different sort of atmospheres. Um, and I think I think that will be really intriguing. He's put quite a lot of colour on London Bridge, and as he has with Southwark Bridge as well in Cannon Street, because these are areas where there's quite a lot of nighttime activity, and there's quite a lot of colour around it. So it kind of needs to compete. So they're kind of warm tones that he's picked. For Millian Bridge, it is just a white light, um, and that's the same as we're doing also on the Golden Jubilee footbridges, so that there's some synergy between the, 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 the footbridges that cross the river as well. And in Millennium Bridge, um, that was always an idea from Norman Foster, to have a blade of light. So, uh, uh, Norman Foster was uh, influenced by Flash Gordon, which kind of dates him, and he wanted to have this kind of, f- this blade of light, um, which is the concept from Millennium Bridge. But the lighting never quite worked. Um, and now it's sort of, you know, very low, too low, in fact. It's actually incredibly dark when you go across Millennium Bridge, uh, which is kind of, um, we're trying to create, recreate, really, that blade of light. So that's what, we, that's what Leo's done, and it's got a very gentle pulse. So we've worked very closely with Andy Bow, who's a project architect on Millennium Bridge, and Spencer de Grey to try and um, keep it in, uh, keep, to make sure that it's in keeping with the vision of the uh, architects. So that's the only sort of monochrome light. Um, Southwark is an interesting bridge. It's 1920s, um, not used a lot. It's one of nine very similar bridges on the, on, on the Thames in terms of these wonderful riveted lattice bridges. Um, and with Leo's scheme, you really get to see uh, the ribs and the, uh, and the structure of the bridge in a way that you, you don't now. Um, and Cannon Street, um, it's a network rail bridge, so it's only ever been seen as a piece of infrastructure, you know? um, and they've been really interesting to work with because they've been incredibly positive about celebrating the architecture of this bridge. So it'll be doubly kinetic because it will have this slow-moving line of light across it, and then of course you'll get trains going across it as well, so, um, and it's really reinforcing that strength of the bridge and the way that you know, so many people um, travel across it every day.
0: And where's the best place to see them? Is it walking
1: along the South Bank or the... I mean, what, what do you think are the best vantage points? Well, I think that's a good question. I think people will find their own favorite places. I mean, for the first four, probably the best place to see them is on um, Blackfriars uh, Railway Bridge uh, on the platform or on a boat. Because Leo is illuminating the underbellies of the bridges, then you'll get a completely different experience if you're on a boat. But you'll be able to see it from um, each side of the river, from all the buildings around it, you know, you'll be able to see it from Tower Bridge, the first four, anywhere. And we're going to use an app to track where people are taking photos so we can understand which bits of public realm they're standing in and then we can also double check that those bits of public realm are ones that we've dealt with in terms of seating and accessibility and lighting as well. But I think there will be it will feel very different in different places as well. So it'll be really interesting to see to see that. And why did you start with those four? Well we I mean the logical thing would have be been to start with Tower Bridge and move west because Tideway are moving west to east, taking all the spoil from the tunnels. So not only do we have to think about uh, our own schedule, and I was trying to do them in consecutive order, we've got all these great big boats full of dirt heading towards us for like two years. So it is the most enormous Rubik's Cube trying to make these things happen. Now the problem with Tower Bridge, it's it's grade one listed. I mean, it's a problem, but it's also the beauty of Tower Bridge. And the lighting scheme that's on there at the moment has had a tendency to fall off because it has to be glued on. And so we want a scheme that lasts 10 years. So we are spending the time to look at magnets and stays and all other different ways because you can't drill into a grade one listed structure to try and create something that's got some longevity. Um, Of all the bridges we're working on, it's the only one apart from Albert that we'd have to do a closure. And so we have to factor that in. Um, And so we want to try things out on Tower Bridge to see how they work. Um, And so we thought we'd start with London, because obviously, you know, it's the start of London. Move all the way west and then do the bookends, Albert and Tower, as the finale, as it were, which seems kind of appropriate as well. So these great things coming out need to go
0: under Tower Bridge, so you can't close it. Is that one of the challenges as well? Because no. it needs to open. or No, no, no it's not no, that. It's, not it's just, that. just
1: about actually trying to work out yeah. how, to, uh, fix it to, how it. to fix it. How to fix it? Because of course Tower Bridge is—it's not only a bridge. It's—it's—it it's, ha- it has two buildings on it. It has two towers. So not only are you abseiling off the side, you've got to abseil o- o- over the, the, the main road, um, and so that the logistics of that and when you can actually close it um, and also we want to create a scheme that's low maintenance so putting kit where it's impossible for it to be cleaned or replaced and one of the things we found with this project so Vauxhall Bridge has loads of lighting on it but it's not been illuminated because they were accidentally cut off in the 80s and no one, no one um, replaced it even Westminster there's some little Um, lamps again from sort of 30, 40 years old that have not been replaced. So we want to create something that is uh, has long life, really, um, and is easy to maintain and that the uh, luminaires can be changed because you don't have to sort of levitate in order to be able to do it. So um, that's a very important part of the, of the project as well. There's no point in creating this thing if it's impossible to look after. I mean, that's one of the big things about Public Realm, isn't it? It's not only about the design, it's about the management and maintenance of it afterwards. How much has LEDs made this possible? Right, LEDs have made this possible. I mean, and the quality, and we can even, we're even using management systems so we can tell when they fail um, as well, and we can see how much energy they're using and monitor them through what's called an active site management system. So it's all very sophisticated.
0: And LEDs are incredibly energy efficient, but is there a, a question around the energy load that these take, or is it, in most instances, I imagine you're replacing much more energy hungry? Lighting
1: with the scheme. Yeah, I mean, very few of the bridges have any LEDs on them at all. They're metal halides, they're fluorescents, they're really old technology. So they are real energy suckers. And um, um, Albert, for example, as well, we we, it will still have the lovely kind of light bulb effect, those kind of fairground lights. But what will be hidden inside are LEDs, and we can reduce the energy consumption on that bridge by fifty percent, and the light spill. Um, And also take off all the detritus because people keep adding lighting to bridge and just leave all the old kit there. So we're also sort of stripping off, taking away some of the sort of debris on the bridges to reveal their beauty. And Albert, we're taking away great big sort of almost like gutters full of lights that we can take off because uh, the fittings are so much smaller. The cables are lighter. The drivers last longer. So um, it's about time that they had much better technology on them And they can last up to twenty years. Some of this kit.
0: So is the hope that it's set for ten years, but if it extends beyond, that's great. You're, how how long are you hoping the kit will last for? Are you kind of designing for a ten-year lifespan or
1: beyond? Well, we are. Um, we are. The illuminated river is going to make sure that we replace any kit that is um, needs to be replaced in ten years, and then all of it is gifted to the bridge owners and it's up to them whether they feel like okay we've just had enough of this now we just want to turn the lights off or we fancy something else and the public and the planners to decide whether it continues you know I mean it's the same with the London Eye that was a temporary thing but it sort of became a permanent a permanent piece in our cityscape Um, and I really think it's up to Londoners to decide whether after 10 years whether they've had enough whether they enjoy it so much it actually stays Um, and that will be the decision of the of the bridge owners, really. So what we have, in a way, is an act of philanthropy,
0: the the illuminated river, because it's not... Is there much public money involved in it?
1: No, I mean, you know, these are not the times to be using public money on on, on nice-to-haves. The only public money being used is the legacy money from the Olympics from the mayor's office it's 250,000 this is a 45 million pound project and it has been funded by philanthropists I mean in a way this is about getting art out there to everyone you know over a hundred million people will see this a year just going about their daily business that's not just tourists coming down to see it as well when you think of of the amount of people that cross the bridges especially railway bridges and things as well you know grosvenor has 40 million users a year so if you just think about people who are seeing it in the evenings um and i, I we haven't even counted the number of people who might be able to see it by walking along the riverbanks as well so this is about this is a free this is we, this is free and accessible, and this is art for all. You know, you don't have to go into a gallery to see it. There's no re, there's no closing off of the bridges for for private parties. There's no renaming of bridges. It's just it is a, a purely a philanthropic gesture to London.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by the developer, produced by Simon Mercer with music by Fortet. I'm Christine Murray, and you can reach me on Twitter at at TC TCMurray. For more podcasts, visit us at thedeveloper.live.